The time is 15 minutes past eight and the drone attacks on Saudi oil facilities knocking out half of Saudi Arabia's oil production and 5% of global production. Um, certainly feeding all sorts of conversations at a key time with the UN General Assembly gathering. Saudi pipelines, oil installations and tankers have occasionally been attacked over the past couple of years, but last weekend's attacks have left a flurry of mixed signals. Who was behind the attacks? From where? What will the response be? Based on some of the uh, reporting so far, it looks like Iran is... One answer, and a U.S. potential tough response could be the other part. Professor Jeff Colgan specialises in political science and international and public affairs at the Watson Institute, Brown University, and joins us on the line. Thank you, and good morning from Seoul. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me on. Pleasure. Um, Do you view this as a potential tipping point? Well, it's a very uh, important attack because the Abkhik facility uh, that was uh, damaged is um, the key node in the entire uh, global oil system. Uh, it is the largest uh, oil processing facility in Saudi Arabia, which, of course, in turn is the largest oil exporter in the world and the one that has the most uh, strategic swing capacity. So damaging it is uh, something that understandably is attracting a lot of attention, both from oil markets and from uh, policymakers around the world. Understanding the background of the story, the the strongest claim yet from the Americans is that the attacks against the Saudi oil facilities were launched from Iran itself. But, of course, Iran's foreign minister said the U.S. is in denial. What's your view? Well, we're seeing uh, a pretty alarming um, level of escalation of accusations, actually, even just in the last 24 hours. Uh, so it is it is concerning. Um, the fact that in, there really are um, mixed signals about w- what's going on, of course, it's very hard to judge, in particular because uh, both Iran and, unfortunately, the United States uh, have something of a history of making false statements. And so... Uh, having uh, a man in the White House uh, right now whose uh, personal credibility is not very high. Uh, President Trump is known to uh, to lie all too frequently. Uh, and that's that's uh, really a, a critical weakness when you get into a global crisis like this where credibility and truth really matter. And so it's, it's unfortunate to see the United States uh, in the position that it is now. Um, and even just today, uh, Secretary of State, uh, Mike Pompeo, uh, argued that this was uh, an act of war from Iran, uh, which, as I say, is, is really um, diplomatically a, a concerning signal in, in the sense that it, it raises tensions even another notch from where they already were. This um, claim from Iran, can we just reflect a little bit further? Why would Iran carry out the attacks and, and not want to claim any responsibility? And who are potential other perpetrators, uh, Yemen, for example, being a possibility? Yeah, absolutely. The, uh, the, the Houthis uh, rebel group in Yemen uh, have claimed responsibility, uh, and the, the Houthis are sort of loosely aligned with Iran. There's actually some debate about how close uh, the, the rebel group is with, with Iran itself. Um, but uh, to get back to your question about why Iran would would do this 
uh, and and not want to take responsibility. I think that what they wanted to do, and this actually goes back uh, all the way through the summer with the various attacks on oil tankers in the, in the Gulf of Oman and, and the Persian Gulf area, uh, where it looks like what Iran is doing is uh, lashing out at, at the, the, the global oil supply um, and effectively sending the signal that if the U.S. is going to strangle Iran's uh, oil exports w- with sanctions, then Iran is going to hit back and make it difficult for others, uh, particularly its chief rival, Saudi Arabia, uh, to export its oil. But it doesn't want to uh, do so overtly, uh, because, of course, that um, puts it in a bad position as being sort of the bad guy in the situation and um, could galvanize international opinion against it. And so it wants to avoid uh, any kind of real direct confrontation, a full-fledged war um, with uh, the United States, uh, which, of course, uh, is a war that, that neither side could win in a convincing fashion, but it, it would probably be much more damaging for Iran. Well, let's uh, also talk further about the global response, because whether we see a military impact from this or not, the, the main focus has been in the last few days on, on oil prices and they've been bouncing around and they're just so volatile, but there seem to be enough reserves to manage the situation. Yes, uh, you know, in the day, the first trading day after the attacks uh, on Monday, uh, oil prices rose uh, 20% and in, in midday trading. They actually fell back a little bit to about uh, 13% increase by the end of the day trading. And they've actually uh, fallen a little bit further since then. So they've sort of stabilized. Now they're still a little bit higher than than where they were uh, last Friday before the attack. Um, but what this is showing, actually, is that there is remarkable resilience in the global oil supply um, that, in fact, Saudi Arabia has said, listen, we're going to um, replace any oil that would have come out of the uptake facility with with uh, reserves that we have. Uh, and in addition to that, they, they promised to kind of restore the facility back to uh, full capacity at, at great speed. Uh, so they expect to be up and running, and the, the market has responded positively to that, to um, recognize that, uh, that this is a volatile region, the Persian Gulf, uh, and violence is unfortunately all too common. Uh, and so uh, oil markets, I think the savvier oil traders recognize that uh, these kinds of things happen uh, and that it doesn't necessarily mean uh, that one should overreact by uh, either buying or selling too dramatically uh, on these kinds of occasions. Let's reflect also further on President Trump's stance on Iran. Is he actually looking for an opportunity to escalate potentially uh, a military standoff or when he says locked and loaded is he trying to just issue a threat as a way of calming things down by you know a deterrence through threatening behavior well that's the great question and of course uh, reading the tea leaves on president trump's uh, tweets or, or other statements uh, is a, a very difficult game uh, it's not one that uh, i would want to be trying to do if i was the iranians um, but I think that the, you know, the pattern that the Iranians surely have noticed this summer uh, is that President Trump uh, swaggers a lot, threatens a lot, uh, but also seems to be 
very reluctant to get into uh, a real conflict, uh, military conflict with Iran, uh, and in fact was uh, the one sort of saying no to some of his more aggressive advisors, including John Bolton, who is the national security advisor until just recently, uh, and, and got fired from that position or resigned, depending on who you believe. Mm. Um, and so uh, that's that's one of those situations where President Trump and his advisors actually seem to have, you know, real differences of opinion. And it's it's unclear how the U.S. government is forming its own position uh, on this kind of situation. Is there a danger, though, and this is something we've been reflecting on, I think, uh, at various times over the last few years, but is there a danger now, the longer this goes on, that we will see a, a North Korea or an Iran just call President Trump's bluff, uh, suggesting t- that they just don't believe he actually wants to get involved in any kind of external conflict, especially with an election coming up next year? Yeah, in a sense, I think that we we kind of are seeing that with Iran. Uh, in, if, if they were, in fact, the, the perpetrators of this attack, uh, they seem to be saying, listen, we are going to be able to strike at our enemies, uh, and we're not that afraid of, of the United States replying militarily, uh, because even though you, you know, bluster a lot, um, it doesn't seem like you actually want to get into a, a real military fight. And uh, look, at the end of the day, this is, this is really a bad situation that the Trump administration created by having pulled out of the uh, Iran deal that um, was negotiated under President Obama. Uh, this, is, this is very much reflected by President Trump's ego and wanting to be able to do one better than President Obama, saying that that deal was terrible and that he can do better. But in fact, uh, it, it seems pretty clear that President Trump can't do any better. And, uh, you know, at this point, maybe the best we could hope for is to get back to something close to uh, the kind of agreement that, that was in place under under President Obama. I'd like to, while we have you on the line, just uh, address what sort of difference it might make with this new national security advisor, Robert O'Brien. I, I must confess, it, he's not someone I know a lot about. We'd been speculating more on Stephen Began. I'd seen, uh, I think it was the New York Post put forward, Mike Pompeo perhaps uh, reprising the Henry Kissinger dual role of Secretary of State and National Security Advisor. But Robert O'Brien, can you tell us anything about what sort of impact he might make as uh, John Bolton's successor? Well, his current job, or until just just recently, his his main job was at the State Department under Mike uh, Pompeo uh, as a um, dealing with hostages. Uh, and so he's really kind of an, it's an unusual background to be considered for national security advisor. And so in some sense, he's kind of a, an unknown. Uh, and um, I think the greatest beneficiary of seeing Bolton leave is probably Mike Pompeo, right, who seems to be in a very strong position uh, within the administration. He seems to be one of the few players who can, uh, you know, stay on President Trump's good side stroke his ego, and yet still pursue something of his own preferences uh, in, in terms of policy. Uh, and, you know, having a relatively weak national security, security advisor uh, puts Mike Pompeo in a very good position in terms of uh, 
internal bureaucratic dynamics in Washington. Yeah, it, it certainly seems so. And and he has had the ability, personally, to to bend when needed, where Bolton didn't seem to be as willing to do so. Uh, Professor Jeff Colgan, we're out of time. It's great to have you on the line. Thank you so much for having me.